Hey, everyone. We're doing something a little different this week. Kay and I decided to re-air a podcast interview we did with our dear friend, Amanda Hendy, who has a podcast called The Hendy Show. In this episode, we talk about our favorite subject, seed cycling, and why we started a seed cycling company. We also talk about the effects of intermittent fasting on women, as well as alcohol, and just some of our favorite things in the world of health and wellness. We thought this was such a fun interview that we wanted to share it with you. So let's get into it. Yasmin and Kea, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Um, to be you guys, here. yeah, happy yeah. to have you. Um, you guys are the co-founders of a company called Bia, which is on a mission to help women feel their best, uh, primarily through the management of our hormones. And I definitely want to spend some time on the work you're doing at Bia and the products you offer, but would love to start by having you each give a bit about your backgrounds and how and why you guys came together to launch Bia. So Yasmin, you, uh, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my background was not actually in the health space at all. I kind of had a pretty intense career in investment banking and in tech, and through that process, as well as being on birth control. So lifestyle, being on birth control from a young age, because I used to have debilitating PMS, all of that was a recipe for disaster for my hormones. And really, it wasn't until I met Kea, who's my sister-in-law, so my husband's sister, they've been in this world of wellness where I was realizing that, oh my gosh, all this debilitating PMS, me not feeling good every day, like that's abnormal. And I had no awareness. And for years, I would be out of commission three to four days a month at work thinking that's completely normal. So they were really the first ones to open my eyes of what's possible and really connect me with different doctors. Um, and that kind of was like my first for foray into functional medicine, using food as medicine, um, and really this protocol called seed cycling, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit, completely changed my life. So I don't have the health background, but definitely have lived a life that was not conducive into me feeling the best. And now I feel great. And I just wish that for every single woman who's listening in the world, um, because nobody needs to suffer. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of what Yasmin said, I've actually been in the space of functional medicine for almost 15 years now. So this is my world. Food is medicine, health, wellness, all of that. But the thing that I found that was missing and also what I went to school for is filmmaking and this idea of storytelling combined with health and wellness. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, health and wellness can feel pretty drab at times. It's like mm -hmm. you go to your doctor, people like don't even want to go to their doctor. And so where is that link where we can actually get people excited through storytelling uh, about taking care of themselves? So that's really my background. And then when Yasmin and I met and she started to kind of explain what she was going through, I told her at the time that I was also learning about seed cycling in my master's program, I was getting my master's in nutrition. And my professor said that if people follow this food as medicine approach to hormone balancing using seeds, that 90% of the time their cycles will become regular. They'll stop experiencing pain. They'll get less PMS. And I was like, Yasmin, you've got to try this. And she had heard about it from her doctor too, did it, it changed her life. And here we are. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a great story. And I'm, I'm glad you found some relief and I can, I can relate to that kind of work stress craziness. I started my career in big law and was also on birth control at the time and just working like a crazy person, not sleeping, 
drinking a lot on the weekends, birth control, not taking the food as medicine approach, just looking back at that time, like, I don't know how I survived yeah. it in many ways um, and barely did, I think. And and definitely now, um, you know, that's why I love talking to people like you is I'm so curious to learn more and to, um, you know, help spread that information. And um, I, I want to do get in the specifics of, of seed cycling, um, but kind of backing up even more, um, you know, seed cycling is all relating to hormonal health. Uh, could you guys speak to a bit um, about just hormonal health generally and why it's so important to, I mean, every aspect of our life? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's something like 88% of women struggle with the hormonal imbalance. The tough thing about hormonal imbalances is that you might not even know that you have one because the symptoms could be range from anything to weight gain, acne, bloating, constipation, um, insomnia, low libido, hair loss, pr pretty much it runs the gamut. Um, our hormones are typically thought of something that we only have to deal with when we're going through puberty or when we're going through menopause, but they're actually involved in so many different areas of our body and they're running through our body every single day. They control our appetite. They control how we look, how we feel, everything in between. And so the challenge is that when you go to the doctor and you kind of explain your symptoms, we're often given Band-Aid solutions like birth control or even antidepressants, or we'll told, we're told you just need to lose weight without looking into the deeper root cause, which could be a hormonal imbalance. And so we, Yasmin and I talked to so many different women in our lives who we realized like this is a rampant issue that nobody's talking about that every woman struggles with pretty much through every phase of her life. Mm -hmm. And so we need to find a more holistic way to approach this because it can be debilitating as Yasmin kind of explained when she was going through. Yeah. And wow, those symptoms definitely are hard to pinpoint, right? Like I can, I, yeah. I feel like I probably am experiencing several of them at any given time for sure. How are, what are ways that we're wreaking havoc on our hormones without maybe even knowing that we're causing damage? Yeah, we are doing, unfortunately, <laughs> in <we> this <laughs> yeah, where do we start is the uh, question. Um, this is a, we're in a very modern stressed out world and we've all heard the saying now that women can do it all. And I think that that is the, uh, unfortunately, the root of so many of these issues is that pressure to constantly be everything, do everything, be a mom, be a work, be like a, a hard worker, be a student, you know, kill it at exercise, kill it in the house, everything. And so the biggest thing that we've seen is stress. Um, stress mm -hmm. is the number one reason for so many chronic diseases or aggravating chronic diseases, especially hormonal imbalances. With seed cycling, we address the balance of estrogen and progesterone. And it's a very fine balance that we have to achieve to keep these sex hormones in balance. And stress is the number one thing that kind of takes it out of balance. So stress is huge. Um, and then diet. 
You know, we're eating a very ultra processed diet right now. A lot of women are not making time to eat blood sugar balancing meals. They're often skipping meals. I mean, I've done it before where I just have coffee in the morning. I don't eat anything until 1 p.m., maybe snack on something here and there. And then I'm so hungry by the end of the day, I just reach for whatever it is. This is all too common in our world. I've definitely been there before. So I think... um, our ultra processed diet, stress, nutrient deficiencies, and then toxins is another yeah. huge one. And toxins feels a little bit too scary because it's like, all right, what am I supposed to do? Live in a bubble? But mm-hmm. I think that there's ways that we can kind of uh, minimize our exposure to toxins without feeling too crazy because it's just a part of our world. Yeah. And even just piggybacking off what Kaya said with toxins, there's so many things that I wasn't even aware of until I kind of went on my own journey, but like your skincare, your makeup, your cleaning supplies. And luckily we live in a world where there's so many incredible options out there that are clean. So it's such an easy switch. And it doesn't mean to like throw everything away. Like I'm still kind of transitioning over certain items where you don't need to be perfect, but I just want to share, like there's so much available that's out there that's clean and things you might not even think about your foundation, your cleaning supply, candles, right? I love candles so, so much. And I've now shifted over to clean ones, um, but that was something I had up until maybe five months ago. And I'm like, why do I feel, every time I put a candle on, I'm like, why do I feel off? What's going on? Um, so I just want to bring that up because it's things that in our day-to-day that we might not really realize when it comes to toxins. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of toxins, without getting too into the nitty gritty, and I am not somebody who's telling people they need to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. It's a very touchy subject, but alcohol is huge. Alcohol has so much bigger of an impact on women than it does men. And so Yasmin and I talk to expert after expert that are that say to us, you know, having a glass of wine every night can actually be pretty detrimental to somebody's health, especially mm-hmm. women who have a history of estrogen dominant cancers in their family. Any woman I, t- I have that in my family. My mom had breast cancer. My aunt had breast cancer. And so anybody who's worried about those types of things, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, breast cancer, alcohol is probably the one thing that I will say, like, just take it out of your life. That is something that could be super aggravating too. Yeah, I know. I, and I hate that. <laughs> I hate it. It's like, I do enjoy drinking. I've drank, you know, since I don't, probably way too early. And, um, the more I get into this space and, and learn, um, about how to, you know, be the healthiest version of me, alcohol is just consistently, you know, brought up as it's just not good for you. We try to justify it by saying that glass of red wine. Um, but it, it's just not good for you. And, and I, when I went through the egg freezing process, um, I remember them, there was, a certain period of time where it was very strict, like you cannot drink during this period. And I asked why, and they were like, well, it, it taxes your liver, right? Your liver obviously is what processes the alcohol, but that's also what processes your hormones, right? Yes, exactly. Our liver is so critical for detoxifying essentially everything that we're exposed to. And when we put such a burden on our livers, it doesn't properly detoxify our estrogen. So there's good estrogens and there's bad estrogens to put it simply. And anytime you have an overtaxed liver, you're recycling those bad estrogens through your body. And that's when we get a lot of symptoms like PMS or, you know, at the extreme of it, estrogen dominant cancers. Yeah. And the, the clean, um, you know, cleaning our, our supply, like our beauty routines, our house cleaning products, um, 
that's something I'm working through right now too, because this has come up in fertility related issues as well, obviously. Um, and so I've switched my cleaning um, household products over to like Branch Basics is a good one, Blue Land. And then my beauty routine is about 50-50 right now. I'm still still trying yeah. to get it over. But I heard someone say once, like, whatever you're naked on basically is the most important thing. <laughs> like okay. if you're sitting on a toilet, you're sitting in the bathtub, like anything that's like coming into your contact directly with your skin is is should be your kind of first point of of attack when you're cleaning up the your routines. Mm. I love that. It's so true. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, well, let's get into seed cycling. Can you just kind of, you know, give more details about exactly what it is? And then you mentioned the, the balancing of estrogen and progesterone and why that's important. Totally. Yeah. So seed cycling is actually a little bit science, a little bit magic. Um, essentially we use seeds throughout the month and this was established by naturopathic and integrative doctors a long time ago. They found that rotating specific seeds throughout the menstrual cycle. And the menstrual cycle is not just like when somebody's having a period, it's the four different phases of a menstrual cycle. So rotating these specific seeds for 28 days, so 14 days on one blend, 14 days on another blend, was somehow able to help women with really bad PMS symptoms like really bad cramps, moodiness, breast tenderness, heavy bleeding, irregular cycles, was help was helping them regulate their cycles. And so why that is, is because there's specific nutrients in the seeds. The first phase is flax and pumpkin. And the second uh, phase is sesame and sunflower. And at BIA, we add a little bit of extra ingredients to support. So the nutrients in those seeds help to balance estrogen and progesterone. Typically, um, too much estrogen in relationship to progesterone is what causes really bad PMS. Not always, but it's, you know, quite often. And so the seed cycling helps that specific issue, not to mention it has so much fiber in it. So it's great for your gut. It just has nutrients for total body health. Yeah. I'm smirking because when my doctor told me this, my functional medicine doctor told me to seed cycle, I literally looked at her like she was an alien. I'm like, <laughs> say what? Like you want me to buy all these seeds and grind them and eat them. And, you know, I didn't listen to her for a good two years until Kaya brought it up. Because again, I was complaining and I was like, you know what? It's COVID. I'm stuck at home. Let me try this mixture. And literally one month in, I'm like, how? Like every woman needs to know that this is an option. Like this would have saved many years of my life not being in pain. So it's just so funny to hear that. Oh my gosh, these seeds can make such an impact. But it's just a good reminder of we're not getting these nutrients in our day to day. And it's like a high dose nutrient supplement. Like Kea always says, we take a multivitamin just every day, like think about this kind of like a multivitamin for your hormones. So it's just so amazing and powerful to see like what these little magical seeds can do. And, you know, again, we didn't invent it. We made the process easier, more accessible for people. And we've added some extra nutrients, but, you know, we've been now live as a business for two years. We've had thousands of women seed cycle with us. And I'm like, so confident. If you just give this a shot, like give it three months, six months, you know, everybody is different. Um, but it's always worth just trying. And at the end of the day, if you feel like it's not working, you're still getting all these benefits of omegas and other nutrients that only can benefit you um, 
unless you have an allergy, which I always like to caveat. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's the beautiful thing about seed cycling is it's food, right? So food is safe, especially healthy food. Yeah. And so this is something that can pretty much be used by anyone, um, which is the really nice thing to do. But a food as medicine approach does take a little bit longer. So like as Yasmin said, consistency with all lifestyle, like major healthy shifts is totally key. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. Like you guys said, it's uh, from what I've read too, it's been around for a while, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not mainstream. And I think, Yasmin, you you raised a great point. I think I would have had the same reaction of like, oh, you want me to get all these seeds, grind them together? Like, how do I even do that? And then take it every day. (laughs) Right, exactly. That friction is just people won't do it when it's easier to take like a Motrin or whatever other um, pill is right there. I might provide that immediate relief, but I love what you guys did of, of doing the hard work of getting the seeds, grinding them, packaging them. It's very clear and you don't have to take that much, right? It's like sprinkling it on your yogurt or putting it in your smoothie. It's about about a tablespoon of each. So it's a scoop size, but it works. It tastes great and it works so well in smoothies and yogurt it's just a nice thing to easily add into your routine because everybody eats, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I saw you guys sent out an email this week um, stating that the number one cause of hormonal imbalance is insulin resistance. And I, you know, you mentioned um, being stressed earlier, but I guess stress probably results in kind of that insulin resistance, right? Can you speak to more about what that actually is and what happens in the body? Well, it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? Because stress can cause insulin resistance and insulin resistance can cause stress. So stress Mm. is really pretty much anything, emotional, mental, physiological stress on the body. Um, We could feel mentally resilient and strong and not stress, but our body could internally be going through stress. But insulin resistance is um, really dangerous because it's becoming more and more prominent right now. I think about one in two Americans will end up with pre-diabetes. So that will eventually lead to something like type 2 diabetes. And so this is like the biggest issue of our time. And insulin resistance is that signal that we're headed down that pathway. So when your body can't utilize basically the glucose, the information that you get from your food, you develop insulin resistance and you want your body to be insulin sensitive. Eventually, um, I think 
eating too much processed carbohydrates, too much processed sugar, or too many foods that raise our blood sugar essentially lead to insulin resistance. This could look like maybe having just a glass of orange juice in the morning, but not eating anything else, or then having a sandwich for lunch, and then maybe a bowl of pasta for dinner. That's pretty common in the standard American diet. So what we advocate for is how do you eat meals that you actually love, but balance your blood sugar. So eating a blood sugar balancing meal is all about like combining your macros in the right amounts. So the right amount of protein, the right amount of fat and the right amount of fiber. We definitely don't want anybody not eating the foods that they love, but it's about incorporating foods that will help support your body. And then having maybe smaller amounts of those foods like pizzas and pastas and cereals and pastries, um, because blood sugar imbalances are rampant right now. And that's a lot of the cause of things like PCOS, which a lot of women are facing these days. Yeah, that's a staggering statistic. One in two. I think it'll, I think it's very quickly headed, headed in that direction. Yeah. That's crazy. And didn't type 2 diabetes also used to be referred to as like adult onset diabetes, but now it's happening earlier and earlier. And so, yeah. Yes, because at a certain point, and I think maybe even still, liquid sugar was the number one source of uh, food for young kids. Wow. Um, So that's sugar-sweetened beverages, juices, sodas, all of that. So what was previously an adult issue has now become an issue for children where they are developing type 2 diabetes at very, very early ages, which is really sad, right? Like we need to stand up for our kids. They're not able to make those decisions for themselves. So when you hear things like that, it becomes like, okay, this is red alert. This is a huge issue. Yeah. A massive issue. Um, and you mentioned having kind of, uh, more balanced meals and getting the right macros and, um, I know that to the average person, that's like a very overwhelming concept. Even I don't really know like how to count my macros. Like, where do you guys recommend going to? Like, is there a good um, resource to get a better idea of like what you should be aiming for in each meal? So, I actually don't recommend counting macros unless you are working towards some specific goal. In some situations, if somebody's be training for something or they have a very targeted goal, it could be helpful. Or, you know, eventually when you get to that point where you kind of want to get really dialed in, counting your macros could be super helpful. But just to start with, what I typically say is a palm size of protein per meal. So that could look like um, chicken or fish or for some people, tofu or lentils if they're vegetarian. So take a palm size of protein per meal, fill 75% of your plate with non-starchy vegetables. Vegetables are so important because they're a good source of fiber. They feed our good gut bacteria. So just look at your plate, 75% of it, have non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, arugula, whatever you like, bok choy, anything else, peppers, tomatoes. Um, Add a serving or two of fat. So that's olive oil or some people like coconut oil or avocado, Um, anything that you like, just add some of that on there. And then, you know, maybe a small portion of something starchy that you like. Some people like sweet potatoes or brown rice or wild rice or squashes are great. And then I always love to add something that's really beneficial for the gut. All of that really is. But if you really want to top it off, things like sauerkraut or kimchi are really good. So I just kind of like to 
provide a visual versus saying like, you need this many grams of this, this many grams of that. Just like, hey, add some protein, ton of starchy veggies, a little bit on the side of whatever you like, some healthy fats, and then maybe some probiotic rich food. That's much easier. <laughs> it's a great approach than trying to like get those numbers right. Oh my or, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But even for you saying like a palm size of protein, like we've now, mm-hmm. we also have a health podcast and we've interviewed maybe like 30 experts now. And the consistent theme that we hear outside of how detrimental stress is and blood sugar is women are not eating enough protein and how crucial that is. And even for me, for the longest time, I was under eating. So I think just getting that palm size protein, if you can, at three meals a day is so game changing. Um, so at least for my life, that was huge because I was yeah. eating. And if you are a numbers person, what they say is 30 grams of protein per meal um, is really the kind of target that you want to hit because protein is so it's like the building blocks of life. Right. So protein is very, very critical. It's good for blood sugar. It's mm-hmm. good for building muscle, good for longevity. So about 30 grams is what all the experts have told us. Yeah. Um, I, I can also relate to that. I definitely was under eating protein for a long time. I had a, I went five years being vegan and I know there are plenty of ways to get protein as a vegan. And so it's not a criticism of that diet, but I wasn't doing a good job of staying on top of it. And I ended up, I had, I had an autoimmune issue. I had really bad psoriasis that really appeared um, about a year and a half in um, to being vegan. And I didn't, I'm not saying it's a direct result, but I think my diet was really, really out of whack. And I ended up seeing a nutritionist and she asked me to at least start incorporating fish again, which I did. Mm -hmm. And then that led me to incorporating eggs again. And then I went fully back to, um, you know, a non-vegan diet. I'm eating all the things now. And truthfully, for me personally, that diet, the vegan diet didn't resonate with me. And I, again, I think in part because you have to be a lot more on top of supplementation and making sure you're getting the right uh, nutrients. And um, I wasn't. So now I'm feeling much, much better. I, um, I eat a lot more protein than I ever have. I lift weights now, kind of all these things I think a lot of women are afraid of, but I think are really important to our health. A hundred percent, Amanda. I was vegan for about 10 years Mm. and I was a junk food vegan. So I kind of was doing (laughs) it for ethical reasons. I wasn't really doing it for health reasons at the time. I was in college and um, not paying attention to what I was eating and overeating a lot of starchy foods, under eating protein. I, that's when I developed really bad acne. I had really bad periods. I was tired all the time. Um, I shouldn't be tired all the time as a 22 year old. Right. So, uh, that was, you know, very similar story for me. And there are ways to do it. If you look at people like rich roll or some of these like amazing (laughs) vegetarian and vegan athletes out there, but it's a lot of work for sure. You have to kind of think through food combining and all of that. Yeah. And not being like you said, the junk food vegan, because I went through that phase as well, which was really eye opening to me. I was traveling a lot for work at the time. And, you know, I'd be in the airport and the only thing that I could really eat was a bag of potato chips or a granola bar of some sort. And it just, it really, it really threw me out of whack. Yeah. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) What about um, cortisol? I hear kind of the 
talk like a lot of talk around cortisol and when it should be elevated, when it shouldn't be. And I actually did a one of those Dutch tests a long time ago where I saw it raised pretty high in the morning and then probably didn't go down as fast as it should. And then admittedly, I never went back to see if it got better. So <laughs> what do we need yeah, to be absolutely. aware of there? Yeah. <laughs> the same experience. My doctor was like, you wake up like you're, a lion is in your face. I was yes. like, oh. <laughs> you know, I haven't checked it back since, but I do definitely feel a lot more calmer, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> But it was weird to me because at the time too, like I, I meditate in the morning. I have pretty chill mornings, but evidently like I am ready to go. Yeah. And you know what? To a certain extent, that's a good thing. Our cortisol okay. should be higher in the morning. And then it has a naturally like very kind of beautiful looking curve where it drops off. And then at nighttime, it's at its lowest point. That's when our melatonin is higher. That's when we get sleepy. We kind of want to, and it's unfortunate for shift workers who we absolutely need, but mm -hmm. we kind of want to live in alignment with the sun. So when the sun is rising, that's when we're rising. That's when our cortisol is rising. And then slowly it starts to set and we start to set. And so the challenge is that we're all working late at night. We're all looking at screens. We're all looking at our phones. I'm certainly doom scrolling before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. And so all of this, even if we don't feel like it's causing a problem is raising our cortisol when it should not be in cortisol is uh, to people typically know it as a stress hormone. It's so important for so many things. It's actually not a bad thing. It's really good for immunity. It's, it's critical. We need cortisol. We need it to be energized and awake and focused. But when we have that curve that looks a little bit opposite than it should look. Some people have really low cortisol in the morning and then they have really high cortisol at night. So even though they're super tired, they just can't fall asleep. Their mind is racing, their heart is racing. They might wake up in the middle of the night. Um, we kind of want to bring this back into balance. And the best way to do this is to follow the advice of all these amazing people out there, especially Andrew Huberman talks about it a lot, getting mm -hmm. 15 minutes to 20 minutes of morning sunlight is a really great way to essentially reset our circadian rhythm. So that helps to raise our cortisol in the morning. And then it also helps to bring back that melatonin, which we need at night to sleep. Um, so it's so tough, but not looking at screens late at night is really nice, especially things that are alarming or scary or upsetting or make us anxious. If you, I always say, if you want to watch something at night, put on your blue light blockers and watch something funny and silly or something that's not super serious so that you're not thinking about it all night. And it's not, you know, raising your heart rate and raising your blood pressure before you go to sleep. Um, another thing that's really important to do is just get daylight again, in addition to the sunlight in the morning, just kind of get outside every hour, take a, take a walk to see the sunlight. So we have a nature deficiency problem. We have a sunlight <laughs> deficiency problem and we're getting too much um, artificial light from screens. So anything that we can do to, to kind of support that is really key. Yeah, I have that problem. I am a doom scroller at night. As much as I try to be, um, I am guilty of it most nights where it's I'm looking at the phone before I go to bed and I have a pretty, I, I sleep well, but what I've noticed, I don't know if you guys wear an Apple watch or an aura ring or anything to track your sleep, but what I have noticed is that I don't get a ton of deep sleep. And, um, I think I'm usually around an hour, which is, I think I'm supposed to be getting more, but, uh, and I think it's, uh, in large part because of the screen time late at night, I would think. Um, and so I'm really trying to make it 
making it a mission of mine to put down the phone before I go to bed and getting also I read at night and I read on my um, on my iPad and that's obviously light. So I'm trying to switch over to go back to the basics of a real book at mm-hmm. night. Yeah. And I think I actually do think blue light blockers help. I certainly feel, I don't know, you know, how much evidence is out there right now. I can't point to that specifically, but personally, and I think Yasmin, you um, and Drew also use them, but personally, I do start to feel like that natural sleepiness come quicker if I'm wearing blue light blockers versus if I'm not wearing them. So I, I recommend doing that if people can. And then again, it's really hard to stop scrolling on your phone. So I also love what Yasmin and Drew to, do too. They watch funny videos on Facebook. Like they literally nice. will spend some time watching like silly funny videos on Facebook or something. I watch like Great British Bake Off or, you know, just very pleasant things. I don't mean to take people's screen time away completely because that can feel a little bit like, well, you want me to give up everything at this point. Right. So it's like, how can we make yeah. tiny changes? And also one thing that helped me sleep was like probably the number one pillar that I wanted to dial in because similar to you, Amanda, like years I wasn't sleeping. I was going out, having wine, taking clients out. I'm like, who was that Yasmin? So that was really important. And one thing that I also noticed that has helped me is consistent sleeping time. So like that has kind of helped me increase my deep sleep. I wake up feeling more energized. Um, But it's so interesting, like days that I go out, if I have a dinner or an event and I'm sleeping later, but I'm still getting the same amount of hours, I don't feel as refreshed. So sleep consistency for me, I definitely feel a difference um, in a positive way. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I also look back at my 20s like, who was that? And how did I do that? (laughs) There is no way I could do that again. Well, it's crazy because I think about that time a lot. And I know you were also on birth control and that essentially like shuts off your hormones. And I'm like, my gosh, I was living in such a masculine life and I was thriving. Like I was doing very well in that life, but knowing who I am now off birth control in touch with my hormones, like in touch with who I am, I'm like, I'm so different that I always wonder like, was the birth control just driving me in, you know, in addition to that environment, but it's just interesting just how in touch I am with myself when I wasn't back in the day. Um, So yeah, hormones are beautiful. (laughs) Wow. That's it. You know, I never even thought about that, but looking at the period of time where I stopped taking it and then the changes I made in my life, like there definitely could be a connection there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's the craziest stories about birth control where women come off birth control and they're no longer attracted to the person they've been with, or they start to see the world differently or they're making different decisions. So when you shut off your hormone production, not to knock on birth control, it's absolutely necessary in some situations. But when you shut down your hormone production, I mean, you can completely even change your personality. Mm -hmm. You can change not only your health, but just like how you're showing up and living in the world. And the beautiful thing about seed cycling is it kind of, it falls into this idea of cycle syncing. So women's hormones are fluctuating every single, they can fluctuate from week to week, whereas men's hormones are the same every single day. So women essentially need different things than men do, depending Mm -hmm. on where they are in their cycle. And so to Yasmin's point, her kind of living in that masculine energy at that time, we hate to say it, and this is a quote from our friend, Dr. Stephanie Estima, uh, Stima, women are not tiny men. Women and men are completely different in terms of their needs. So 
-hmm. We love kind of stepping into the idea of cycle syncing and how we can support a woman's body versus a man's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I don't want to knock birth control because um, it's very important and some people are limited in options of what works well for their body, what they can afford, what they have access to. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard somebody say once the side effect of not having it is having a child. And that's a very serious side effect that you have to be ready for. So the best birth control is the one that works for you. Um mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely did not react well to it, but I was put on it at such a young age. I just, I'm sure it was like this for you guys, like where you go to the gynecologist at 18 and they're just like, here, this is what you do. And Mm -hmm. didn't even think twice about it for years and years and years and lived all of my twenties, my crazy New York life on it. And, um, and definitely a different person post getting off of it. Can't imagine like being with like maybe married to someone and then going off and being like, oh my God, I'm not attracted to this person. (laughs) It's awful. It's awful. That's crazy. (laughs) Yasmin, were you married when you went off of it? No, but I actually was thinking, I know I didn't meet my husband. I got off of it a few years before, but I think no, I wasn't in a relationship with anyone. So maybe that's okay. a good thing or else, you know, who knows what would have happened at the time. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, I'm going to go over a few things that I do that I wonder, um, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on, cause I'm sure I'm not alone in it, but, um, black coffee in the morning, no food. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I um, it depends on the person. It depends on the time in their life. It, it there's so many factors to consider. There are a lot of women who feel completely fine this way. If if somebody is struggling with cortisol imbalances, uh, they get really tired in the afternoon, so they're having some adrenal issues. They're potentially trying to get pregnant. Um, any sort of signal of hormonal imbalances, I do not recommend black coffee in the morning on an empty stomach. It is just a way to kind of shoot up that stress response without support. And, you know, that's a change that Yasmin and I have made uh, that's very significant to us is always having coffee with food or after food. Um, Some people add a little bit of fat to their coffee. So they'll do like the coconut oil or the butter, just something extra there. And that's enough for them. But that's a tough one that we're going to say we do not recommend typically. Yeah. Um, and I will say I've, I've most mornings I've started adding uh, like a full fat cream too, okay. um, for that reason, having some fat and I, I do like that, but I, I don't have it every morning. So, uh. yeah. And again, <laughs> it could totally work for you, right? It, it's just, it depends on the person. Yeah. Okay. What about fasting? Because I've also read, I don't know if you've read the book Fast Like a Girl, which I loved. Um, but I, 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 in that book, um, the author talks about um, fasting as a tool to actually help with insulin resistance. Um, what are your guys' thoughts there? So there's a fasting window that pretty much everyone can follow, and that's the 12 to 14 hour window. And so mm-hmm. that's the period where it's overnight. We're typically resting. You definitely want to give your body a break from food. Not always. Some people have special circumstances where they have to eat something before bed or, you know, maybe they have blood sugar challenges. But um, 
that 12 to 14 hour window is so critical. That gives our body a chance to repair. Beyond that, it kind of depends. We love the work of Mindy Pels where she says essentially that depending on where you are in your cycle, you could experiment with longer fasting windows. Um, If you're just about to come up on your menstrual phase, it's probably not the best time to experiment with longer fasting windows. Naturally, at that time, women crave more. They just want more calories, right? So we want to honor that stage. Um, Again, also, if somebody is in their reproductive years and they're looking to have a child within the next few years or a year, I don't recommend longer fasting windows. If somebody is significantly underweight or struggling with disordered eating, no, that's not a time to experiment with fasting windows. For women who are in perimenopause or menopause, this is a way better time to experiment with the longer fasting windows. That's when your body can really support doing that because you're not having these fluctuations in hormones as frequently. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And thank you. It's Dr. Mindy Pels that wrote Fast Like a Girl, right? I couldn't, I was blanking on her name, but I think that book is fantastic. Yeah. And also for me, I look back and when, you know, I wasn't aware of all this and I was fasting and I tried like the bone broth diet and all those crazy mm-hmm. things. And, and I, w- I was a woman in my reproductive years. And I remember thinking, I just don't feel good. So it's like, just make sure you're checking in with yourself. Like, how are you feeling? Like, if I really yeah. sat down, I'm like, I felt like crap and I was working and using my brain and it was not the right fit. So it's always like, do what feels right to you. And the fast that Kaya mentioned at night um, has worked for me. And I try to kind of honor that in, in kind of my life. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's a great point too, is, is not like I have some months if I'm following that, like, you know, fasting with my cycle, I have some months where it feels like no problem to fast for a longer period of time. And then other times where I'm like, nope, like you, Yasmin, like this doesn't feel good and I need to eat right now. Yeah. Um, yes. But I think when, one reason I liked the book so much too is just the recognition that like you were saying earlier, like we're not men, our hormonal cycles are different. And like fasting, I feel like is a constant topic of conversation in the health world. And there's all this advice Mm -hmm. about how you should fast and fast and fast. And then like, it's it, but it's not appropriate for everyone and especially women. And then where you are in your cycle and what you might be trying to achieve at that time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I remember when the ketogenic diet was at its height in around 2017. And I decided that I was going to eat like a high fat diet and kind of cut down on carbs significantly. And I felt horrible. I just dropped a ton of weight. My skin didn't look good. I just was tired. And then I got my blood work done and I was like, whoa, my, my lipids don't look great. So there is such a strong case for bio-individuality and not following something that you read about or hear about on the internet. Like your body is the best doctor in the room. It'll tell you what it likes and don't like, doesn't like. So I think it's so important to just kind of like, if you want to experiment, go for it, but also just tune in and and notice your body will give you cues on how it's feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Eating at night, snacking before bed. (laughs) I know that's a no, but what, what do you recommend as the window before bed? Not necessarily. I actually think, yeah. Um, For me, if I have a little something probably about maybe an hour or so before I go to sleep, I tend to sleep better. 
because I actually noticed through using a continuous blood glucose monitor that my blood sugar was getting a little bit too low at night. And so this was causing me to wake up. And I hear a lot of women, actually, a lot of my peers kind of say similar things that when they eat a little snack before bed, they actually sleep better. They sleep throughout the night versus waking up around three or four. So a lot of times I don't recommend late night snacking, especially if it's like I'm going to, you know, eat a ton of ice cream or something like that, but like a really nice, maybe some yogurt with apples or almond butter, something that includes fat and protein. I'm definitely not against it. I know a lot of people are against late night snacking, but I'm, I'm for it. It, it just depends oh on the my person. Gosh. You <laughs> might have just solved my issue. When I wake up in the middle of the night, it's at three or four in the morning. Like, and I can't understand why, even if it's like, it's one thing if I drank that night, like mm-hmm. that's probably a the reason why. But I have many nights where I haven't drank. I felt like I had a great day of eating the right things, but I also tend to eat dinner pretty early. Mm-hmm. I get hungry at like five, six and eat dinner then. And so maybe that's why I'm waking up at three or four. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> worth experimenting. There's yeah. so many reasons why somebody gets up at that time. There's What's really fascinating is the the Chinese circadian clock where they say that every hour is associated with an organ. So sometimes it could be that that organ is maybe overworking itself. I think between like one and three is the liver. So sometimes people look into their liver health. It could also be when they say that if you, I think it's if you have trouble falling asleep, melatonin is the key. If you have trouble staying asleep, GABA is the key. So sometimes people are depleted in GABA. So we, we look at that at times. And then the blood sugar thing is also super important too. Wow. What is GABA? I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So GABA <laughs> is, um, let me get this right. It's an, ex- you know what, maybe I won't say it cause I don't want to say it the wrong way. That's but fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look into it because yeah. I haven't heard that. And I generally like fall asleep pretty okay. It's then the waking up in the middle of the night that I struggle with. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So we can, I'll email you some resources of different things you can look into. But for me, the blood sugar thing was for sure key. Okay. And I've actually been curious to about tr- potentially trying one of the continuous glucose monitors. Do you guys, Kaya, you mentioned you do. Yasmin, do you? Yeah, it was uh, life-changing for me, actually. Really? We tried Levels. Um, they're good friends of ours. When they came out, I had no idea what this meant by blood sugar. Like I'd hear interviews and people are like, eat balanced blood sugar meals. I'm like, say what? Like, what does that even mean? But really having that, that um, device on you, one thing that really stood out was just how I was eating. So for example, I would eat, I love fruit. I would eat fruit as a snack. And I remember one day I had some cherries and it was like 3, 4 p.m. And I was like, why do I feel so significantly tired? I forgot I was wearing the glucose monitor. My husband's like, well, check, like maybe you had a spike. And I was like, oh my goodness, I had the craziest spike from just, for example, having those cherries, like Kaya was mentioning earlier on an empty stomach. Typically now I'll have it after a meal. So I think it's just, it's interesting to see because sometimes you have certain habits you're not aware of, but it's just as very mindful of like, oh, okay, if I have um, oat milk with my latte, you know, that spikes my blood sugar. I won't do that again because I don't feel good when it spikes. So for me, it was really helpful to do at least for a month just to kind of experiment. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to try that then. Levels. I've been looking at levels and then Nutriscience. Is that the other kind of main one, I think? I, I think I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I think this might be next on my, my list of things to try. 
Okay. Let's talk about magnesium too. Cause I saw that you guys just launched a new product. Um, and I guess it's your second product, right? Um, and curious, like what led you to magnesium, what magnesium does, uh, in relation to our hormones? Yeah, it's been kind of amazing us diving into magnesium over the past two years and seeing that pretty much every kind of mystery symptom that people can have is could potentially be related to magnesium deficiencies. So we have all the cardiovascular issues like blood pressure. Um, we have things like aches and pains. We have skin issues, gut issues, tremors. PMS, constipation, the list goes on and on and on, can all be tied back to magnesium deficiency. And when we talk to all of these experts in the space of hormones and then just total body health, when we ask them what their number one supplement recommendation was, they typically said magnesium because we are so deficient in it because not only are people eating foods that are uh, depleted of magnesium, our soil just doesn't contain the same amount of magnesium as it used to. And then when you look at all the foods that are rich in magnesium, things like, well, dark chocolate people love, I think, but pumpkin seeds and green leafy vegetables and you know all of this nutrient-dense food is not typically a part of the standard American diet on a day-to-day -day basis. And so um, I started taking magnesium a long time ago when I was pregnant, I was dealing with a lot of palpitations and just kind of higher anxiety. And so magnesium was really beneficial for me. Yasmin started to take magnesium before bed and it was really helpful for her sleep. And we always knew that we wanted to create a magnesium powder because we wanted people to have something to enjoy before bed or throughout the day that wasn't alcohol, but made them feel like maybe calm or just help them with sleep. And so we just knew magnesium was like the most natural fit product. And we're so excited to get it out there because honestly, like everybody needs magnesium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like I've been hearing a lot about it and I have some at my house too, but, and there, are there different forms of magnesium that work better for different things? And what, it, what does your product have in it? Yeah. There's so many forms of magnesium. There's ones that are a little lower quality there's ones that are specific for um, brain health. There's ones that are specific to help people who are constipated. So typically what people see is magnesium citrate, which is that is the one that's best for, it'll just help you poop basically is like the bottom line. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and it has other benefits, but that's like the main one. If somebody says they're constipated, we always say take magnesium citrate. Uh, ours is magnesium glycinate, which is one of the most bioavailable forms of magnesium. So it's very absorbable and it helps with so many different things in the body. We also have glycerophosphate and orotate in there. So when you're taking a magnesium supplement, you want to make sure you're getting a bioavailable, highly absorbable form of magnesium. You just mm -hmm. want to be it to be doing the best job that it can be doing in the body. So definitely the quality matters for sure. Gotcha. Okay. For somebody who's, cause obviously I spent a lot of time in this space and like to read and learn everything for somebody who's kind of just starting their journey into this, um, hormonal space, I guess, for lack of a better term, like what, what do you recommend? What are, um, where can they go to find more information? Yeah. I mean, Yasmin, I'd love to hear kind of what you think, just because I feel like you're semi newer to this space. Oh, so yeah. like, what were the best things for you? Oh my gosh. Well, your, your question kind of made me think in two ways. There are some like basic habits that I find approachable. And then the second thing is where do I get like education and resources. And I'm pretty passionate as someone that's not in the health space. 
sometimes if something doesn't make sense, I feel very overwhelmed and I just check out and I don't do it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like we want things like, okay, I started the uh, interview about like storytelling, make it digestible, make it easy. Like health can feel so overwhelming. And especially as someone that's in this space, sometimes I'm like, I know too much. So I don't want anybody to feel that way. But in terms of habits that I think are really approachable and at least help me in my journey was like literally going back to the basics. Are you sleeping? Are you having three meals a day? Are you moving your body? And are you going outside? Like I'm still trying to dial in all those four, but even that is game changing. And then you can layer in the supplementation and other things. Um, in terms of resources and education, I mean, I might be a little biased, but I think at Biha, we do a really yeah. great job. We have a bunch of newsletters, we have podcasts, our social, we do two to three posts a day, just adding value. And the goal again is like, how do we just educate women on their bodies and easy switches that they can do that they can feel such an incredible impact. Yeah. And I agree. You guys do a great job. And I follow you on Instagram oh, and you. have gotten your newsletters. And I also wanted to ask who creates the recipes and like video because all the food you put on your Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, I want to make that. Shout out to Cassandra. She makes all of our amazing recipes. She's on our team. Just the most gorgeous recipes you've ever seen. Yeah, so amazing. And like easy, like we that's really important for us. Like again, yes. we don't want things to take like an hour. So she does a really great job on keeping keeping it accessible, beautiful, nutritious. Um, but yeah, I had someone ask me that the other day, they're like, are, are you the one doing the recipes? I was like, hell no, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Cassandra and Kaya are like the the people who can make like beautiful food, but it was just funny. I was like, no, no, that's not my expertise. <laughs> yeah, they, it really looks delicious. And Kay, you work with Dr. Mike Mark Hyman as well? Yes, yeah, I yeah. am his, uh, basically his chief of content, all things content for Mark for about eight years, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I have never met him, but have followed his work for a long time and have learned so much from him and actually just saw him featured in um, the documentary Common Ground last night, yeah, um, which is the sequel to Kiss the Ground, which is all about regenerative agriculture, which is an area that I'm super passionate about. And so I encourage everyone to to go and um, try to see it. Um, so I know we're pushing up on time. So before we go, just last question, is there anything, um, a message or kind of a call to action that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like I could talk about this all day. Like we didn't even get into exercise. Like, yeah, Yeah. there's, there's, this is such a big topic. Well, the first thing that comes to mind just for me, it's super simple. And I feel like I've said it multiple times. Like you don't need to suffer. If you don't feel good, there's an option for you. And, And that's just something I wish someone told me earlier on, because I think we normalize these hormonal imbalances and what it could look like. And I just want to be living proof that it is possible to feel good every day. And really that's like our biggest mission. I didn't even know this was possible. And I just want that gift for every single woman. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I'm reading uh, Atomic Habits for the first time. And one thing that has been on my mind is that um, sometimes it can be a little bit disappointing if we can't reach our health goals right away. And so I always like to tell people, you don't have to change everything overnight. Mm-hmm. Just start with one thing that's achievable. Start with maybe eight to 10,000 steps a day or start by just having a consistent bedtime every day and let those things compound. And eventually 
they'll just be a part of your life. Yasmin and I are testament to that. We now feel like for the most part, we are doing our best to walk the talk. And so if you're trying to make progress, don't be too hard on yourselves. The one thing I feel that a lot of women don't do is we don't give ourselves enough grace. And so they always say like, talk to yourself the way that you would talk to your best friend. And I feel like that alone can make such a big impact on your life. Yeah. That's both beautiful messages. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing and for being um, a source of information and, and resource and, and hope for women. And I, I agree. I, I, I really hope that every woman can achieve her best self and, and feel great because it is, it is possible. Well, thank you, Amanda, Absolutely. for thank showcasing you, Amanda. all these stories and all the work you've done in women's health and supporting women. So you're also amazing. And this was so much fun. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.